0: Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does not AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim
1: Weisberg and Matt Costco. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. A little bit uh, daunting night tonight because uh, our our guest that was going to join us tonight could not. We were going to talk about Native American spirituality with uh, members of the Pacasset Wampanoag tribe. However, they could not find anyone uh, that was able to join us tonight, which, you know, it's it's Thanksgiving weekend. People have a lot of travel and a lot of other plans, so it, it's it's kind of a tough weekend to get a hold of people, but it's also the weekend that uh, immediately follows the uh, 33rd anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So tonight we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, both Matt Moniz and myself have uh, really uh, researched a lot of the information on this assassination. And I took a course uh, while I was at UMass. I don't, did you ever get to take that course when during your time there? Or?
2: Did, no, I, but I actually got to see the actual Zuberta film with the professor in question.
1: Well, there you go. I, I was uh, a student at UMass Dartmouth uh, from '96 to '98, thereabout. And uh, we took the I took the Political Assassinations in America course. I think my sophomore year, uh, taught by the late Dr. Philip Melanson. And while I was in that course, uh, was when a lot of this evidence was coming out uh, about James Earl Ray's gun being retested, and uh, you know, on the heels of O.J. Simpson's trial, you know, this new DNA ability that they had and a lot of this evidence was getting reviewed and of course that being in the Martin Luther King case uh, but it did start to open up a lot of the discussion about uh, some of these files and some of these the supposed evidence being retested and put to the test. So we'll talk about some of that along with some of the different assassination theories behind the JFK murder and you can join in and tell us what you think. 508-996-0500 508 500 Of course, you can also call up to talk about anything to do with the paranormal, which is what we normally talk about here on Spooky South Coast. Uh, Be it ghosts, aliens, you know, maybe you've seen a UFO, maybe you've had an experience with a strange creature you can't explain, Uh, maybe just uh, different—I don't know—different dreams, different experiences that you've had that you'd like to call in and share with us. Uh, We don't judge anybody here. We we listen to what you're saying. We try to help you find uh, an explanation behind it if we can. And uh, if you're having problems uh dealing with something uh, not of this world, we can point you in the right direction of those who can help you. That's what we try to do here anyway. Yeah. And y- don't worry if uh if you want to call in, you you remain anonymous and share your experiences with us. Also, if you are sitting at home and you don't want to uh join in the discussion via the radio, which you know, we we do encourage you to do that, but if you'd like to join the live chat that takes place each week at the SpiritedSociety.net, run by uh, one of our faithful listeners. And she's actually she's a moderator on numerous message boards, including our own at SpookySouthCoast.com. But she has her own website, and she runs a live chat there for us each week, SpiritedSociety.net. If you look on the left-hand side, when you sign on, you'll see a cattle skull with the chat link there. Just uh, log in, and she is in there already, I see, as well as the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Matt, are you a seasoned, uh, chat room guy or?
3: Uh, no, no, not at all.
1: So you're not familiar with all the shorthand, uh, annotations and, and the smiley faces and the LOLs and the like?
3: No, but I'm um, hopefully Luann will help me through it. So she will.
1: She's, mm-hmm. a, she's a pretty helpful person. She's a great person. And we thank her for setting this up and, and sitting by the computer every Saturday night because, uh, God knows by 11.30 or so, you know, she's fighting to stay awake when we're talking. No, no, I'm just kidding. Speaking of hearing us talk, which uh, we tend to do a lot here. No, I do a lot of. I wish these guys would talk a little bit more. But uh, we actually had had our discussion in Freetown on Tuesday night for the Freetown Historical Society where we talked to them. We called the presentation Haunted Freetown. But it was uh, just about all the different paranormal activity that takes place in and around the Freetown area. And it was at the request of the Freetown Historical Society that we went there. Basically, if I remember science advisor Matt Moniz, the original idea was really they had read the Boston Globe piece uh, that featured you talking about some of these uh, hauntings, and it was kind of news to them, so they wanted you to come and kind of educate them about what was going on.
2: That's correct, and and kind of mushroom from there. We uh, got a hold of Chris Balzano, who was instrumental in helping us out with some of the information that we use to present. Uh, He is an excellent speaker, knows his material backwards and forwards, and definitely is quite knowledgeable on anything to do with the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: And Chris has his own website, masscrossroads.com, the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, and he has a lot of the information there about Freetown in particular, but uh, also about All of Massachusetts, particularly southern New England, uh, southeastern Massachusetts. And, uh, yeah, as you said, he came, and we had him kind of focus on the cult activity that happens in the Freetown State Forest, mainly because he's working on a book about that and uh, how that relates to the paranormal. So we had him discuss that aspect of it. And then Matt Moniz did a terrific PowerPoint presentation on some of the hauntings. And uh, pinch hitting for Chris Pittman, who couldn't make it. He also talked about the UFO phenomena that have taken place not only in that area, but you know uh, across the board. Because in order for people to understand what goes on in Freetown or any town, uh, or you know in the sound of our voices, or even podcast-wise around the world, to understand what's going on in your area, you have to understand that this is a global phenomenon, and it takes place. In every corner of the earth.
2: Right, both hauntings and UFO activity.
1: And, and part of the reason why so many people lend it credence is because of the frequency and the volume of reports. If it was you know, just one area or just a certain group of people, but because people from all different walks of life have reported these experiences, that's why we tend to give them credibility. And, of course, that tends to uh, draw out the, the scientist in you, and then you go out and you find the actual data to back that up.
2: Wherever possible, yeah. And in a lot of cases, there is physical evidence in which to test. The trick is you actually have to get out there and look.
1: Exactly. Which uh, a lot of the people in the Freetown area, they encounter this stuff all the time. And it was really, really educational for us because here we are going in there with all these stories that we've heard, these reports that we've heard, things that Chris has collected in the the court. See, he's a little bit different than an investigator, although he does do some investigations. Chris Balzano is actually also uh, the administrator for the Mass Crossroads site. And so part of his job is to take down the mythology as well as the fact. So he is kind of storytelling at the same time while he's reporting. Correct. And the stories that he had heard, some of them didn't really jibe with what was actually the truth in that town. Uh, we read one report from the Shadowlands.net uh, about a supposed haunting at the uh, the old Sonnet Village Inn, and it turns out a there is no building with any such name. Right. Uh, B uh, there was no selectman who murdered his daughter or whatever the story was, and just and the ledge which was. Probably the most enlightening part of the program for us. We've heard stories about the paranormal on this ledge, and we've operated under the assumption that it must have been around for a long time.
2: Well, part of it was, and now I, I looked into a little bit more of this. It it wound up being taller because they turned it into a quarry. It 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 did start off as part of a small prominence. It just wound up gaining height because well, they quarried it the to. rest of it out. Yeah,
1: it had to considering the the geography of the area, but to know that there was so much man-made effort into making it what it is today kind of changes the story a little bit. Um, I mean, is it still possible that, as the story goes, that there were Native Americans that would throw themselves off of it? Yes, absolutely. But uh, just to hear some of these stories and to actually get the – as Chris said, too, he was he had to actually take a step back for a minute uh, during the course of the presentation because – here he is writing about Freetown on his website, and he visits this, this, the town, you know, he, he goes there and does uh, interviews and investigations there, so he knows what he's talking about in terms of the uh, the area and the, the history behind it. But he hadn't really connected with the people, and this was an opportunity for him to really connect with them and to see, you know, Freetown's more about cult murders and supposed hauntings and in, in Indian burial grounds, that these are people who live in this town, work in this town, and you know, enjoy their life in this town, and a lot of it, to them, they don't see this paranormal aspect to it. Uh, There was one gentleman who came up to me afterwards and started to uh, explain away, you know, 90% of what some of these reports are, and then at the same time says to me, but I believe in ghosts, those are real. (laughs) So it, it just shows you the mindset there that, yeah, you know, some of it is overblown, and some of it is taken out of context, but that doesn't mean that they don't believe that there is phenomena going on and that they are interested in the fact that it seems to be centered around that area.
2: Now, we can all agree that something is happening. We may not agree on exactly what things are, but there is no doubt that there is something there that's going on.
1: Well, and also though, coming in as a paranormal investigator or or a researcher, you know, or a historian, uh, or just a, you know, an interested party, There are certain aspects of what goes on that you may think are paranormal because you're linking them with other paranormal events. So it might be that, you know, there's this great chain of paranormal events that when you actually get down into it and can get all the information, it gets reduced down to 30% of what you originally thought it was. But 30% is still 30%. Right. It's still there. And what's more interesting is the fact that. Once it becomes available and it's made available to you to start figuring out what is real and what isn't, what is going on and what isn't, it just opens up the, the door for that 30% to have even more validity. So it's good of the town of Freetown and the Historical Society to allow us to be able to utilize their archives, you know, their artifacts, what they have, and to say if there's things that you need to do in terms of your research and your investigation, your cataloging, your storytelling – then don't hesitate to contact us, and we can help you figure it out. Because the gentleman, Mr. Friend, Mr. French? Mr. French, yes. I mean, he, the guy knows Freetown history he's, like the back of his hand.
2: He's in his uh, mid, almost to late 80s, still a very spry, a very alert and articulate gentleman. Uh, he definitely knows the history of the town, knows everybody in the town by first name basis, and uh, he is definitely on top of it he knows his stuff when it comes to the town no and, doubt about it
1: and just how welcomed we felt uh right i mean we're outsiders so you, let's not we, we all live in Wareham. you know we don't really no. we're not free town guys and just we were welcomed with open arms they were very interested in what we had to say they were really interested in hearing about the show there was a lot of people there that hadn't heard about the show and they just had heard of that there was going to be a presentation about the paranormal in their town and something clicked in their head that drew them there.
2: That and the advertising in the Herald.
1: Yes, thank you to the Fall River Herald and Adam Sutton in particular for putting together that little advance story and uh, all the other smaller papers that might have promoted it. And I think this station probably helped out quite a bit as well. A little bit. And,
2: uh, what really impressed me was they fed us.
1: Oh, yeah, terrific food. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, their, their hospitality was uh, was just... It has to be commended because they did such a great job of making us feel – from the moment we walked in, we knew that this wasn't a a quote-unquote setup. You know, We weren't being brought in to talk about this stuff for them to turn it around on us at the end and say, okay, this is bogus. We don't really believe in this. Right from the start, they were interested. They really wanted to be informed. And you can just tell – by the faces and the people, and and all age groups, you know, it was from young Mm -hmm. kids all the way up to to elderly citizens, all there wanting to acquire this information.
2: Real, honest, genuine, salt-of-the-earth people, truly interested in hearing things about their town that they've heard little bits about but never really got any details, never really wanted to ask. And now they had an opportunity Because between uh, Chris Balzano, myself, and you guys, we know a little bit of the stories because we've been collecting them, and Chris especially. Mm -hmm. We were able to share with them a little bit of history that's been kind of on the hush-hush.
1: And so this is something that we're thinking about that we can branch out into other towns in the South Coast area as well. So if there are other historical commissions, if there are other uh, independent groups that would be interested not only in having us come and do a similar presentation, you've got to give us a, a little bit of time to work things out because it's not like Freetown where the information was really readily available to us. We were able to put it together in under two weeks. Uh, but some of these other towns around here we could probably – put together something based on the paranormal history because we're hearing more and more of it as the show goes along. We could put it together a similar situation, a similar presentation. But in the same respect, we'd also like anybody that can share that information with us and give us maybe something we hadn't heard to get in contact with us as well.
2: Well, bear in mind, this area is close to, what, 350, almost 400 years old. Uh, most of the towns, because where we're at, for the rest of the listeners that may not be from our area, we're roughly about 20 miles outside of Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Now, Plymouth obviously being founded in 1620, this area has had a history for a long, long time.
1: And also, uh, I mean, if if you're not familiar with where the South Coast region is, that's that's something we get uh, a lot of people are confused about when they hear the program, uh, listening to it online, is they say, where is South Coast? It's... You know, they, a lot of people think we're down south, and they're like, "Hey, you guys don't even have accents. Or, if anything, you sound like you're from Boston." You know, which I don't think we do, but <laughs> but people wonder where South Coast is. And if you actually, if you get out a map of the United States, because we have to say that, because some people listening to us are not from the United States, thank you. <laughs> but if you look at a map of the United States and you look at Massachusetts, right between Cape Cod and Rhode Island, there's that little stretch of about 40 miles along what's essentially Buzzards Bay. Mm -hmm. And and that is the South Coast region. South Coast being a moniker that was kind of created by the newspaper here, the New Bedford Standard Times, uh, which signs my paychecks. (laughs) They kind of created this term as a way to distinguish what this area is. But when we say that the name of the program is Spooky South Coast, we're not limiting it to being a show just about what's spooky on the South Coast. We like to look at it more as the spooky, and we're emanating from the South Coast. It's just our home base. So uh, we're willing to talk about anything around the world. If you're listening uh, online and it's Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning and you have stories that you'd like to share, you can go on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can sign up for our message board. You can share the stories there. You can email us. We have one group email, uh, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you email us at that address, it goes to all three of us automatically. We also have individual uh, email addresses as well. If you'd like to talk to Matt Costa, the Silent Assassin, tell him you love his production work. Uh, ask him some questions about cryptozoology, which is uh, quickly becoming his forte, or just anything in general that you'd want to talk to him about. It's Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com. If, if you have questions about the scientific nature of what we're talking about or uh, questions about the paranormal, uh, Matt Moniz, our science advisor, 20 years experience in the field, he's a chemist by trade, and he's just, I don't know, he knows like stuff about everything. If you uh, Don't ask him about sports. For that, you got to email me, Tim at com. But if anything else that you want to learn about, science advisor at SpookySouthCoast.com. But the easiest way to get in touch with us, the best way to get in touch with us is every Saturday night right here from 10 to midnight Eastern time. Give us a call, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. We have two lines to so take all your calls, and and really it's and in these days of cell phones and everything, you know it's a, it's a free call basically. It's a weekend. Most people are working on free cell phone minutes. It's not long distance on your cell phone. So give us a call, and uh, you don't have to be listening to the show live. We're working on that, but you don't have to be listening to the show live to be able to join the discussion. When, when you call in, you get to listen to a couple of minutes while you're on hold, and then when we bring you in, even if it's off-topic. If you need to share something related to the paranormal, we encourage you to do it. So why don't we take a quick break? If anybody wants to jump on the phones, feel free to do so now. And we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this.
4: Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations' knowledgeable staff has over 40 years' experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net.
0: Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast.
1: back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, Simon assassin Matt Costa along for the ride, as well as science advisor Matt Moniz. If you'd like to join in the fun in our internet chat room, then you can log on to spiritedsociety.net. On the left-hand side, you'll see a cattle skull, and right next to that is the chat link. And Eagle's Angel and Matt Costa are in there right now, waiting to take any of your questions, your thoughts on the show. If you can't hear the show live, uh, which, of course, you're not hearing what I'm saying right now. But if you can't hear the show live and you'd like to find out what we're talking about uh, from elsewhere, just drop in there Saturday nights from 10 to midnight and, and Eagle's Angel will fill you in on everything that's going on. And uh, we'll hopefully have the other technical technological wonder that we're working on happening pretty soon. Uh, for those who missed it last week, we had some issues with the live stream. Uh, we're working on solving those issues. It's just some... Uh, interior uh, firewall issues, I guess we can say. So we'll see if we can get that cleared up. And uh, then you can hear us live wherever you are, and you can feel even more free to join into the discussion. So uh, right now, we're going to kick off our talk tonight on, basically, who killed John F. Kennedy. Do you think we can solve this issue uh, in the next hour and a half, Matt Moniz? Doubtful. No. Well, it's been, what, 43 years? 63 I botched that math really quick It's been 43 years Since the passing of John F. Kennedy Ironically 43 being the number of years of age he had when he was elected into office Uh, The youngest president ever elected or At the time he was And the only Roman Catholic president we've ever had Uh, A very dynamic figure uh, A very
2: uh, Charismatic
1: Absolutely charismatic I mean being from just being a Massachusetts guy, you know how how charismatic we all are. But uh, he was definitely, yes, he was a very charismatic guy. He was a very idealized person. Uh, he maybe became a little bit uh, mythologized before he achieved the presidency. Uh, for somebody who really uh, d- didn't really want to get into politics originally, uh, it wasn't something that he himself had seen his life being. Uh, it was more his uh, older brother Joe and then when Joe, I believe, did he pass away? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm... In-
2: yes, uh, his older brother Joe died on a mission in World War II in the European Theater.
1: Okay, I wasn't sure if he actually died in combat or as a result. Yes. Okay, so I wanted to make sure of that. Do you
2: really want to know the mission he was on?
1: <laughs> it, it, can we broadcast it over the air? Oh, or- yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, Oh, matter of history now. Uh, He was on a mission to, I believe it was, destroy a particular dam. They had this large, huge type of rolling drum canister that was affixed to the bottom of their uh, aircraft. And uh, this thing would skip across the water, hit the edge of the dam, and roll to the bottom, blow out the bottom of the dam, and allow the water to flood the valley. His particular plane, I believe, was shot down during the mission.
1: Well, and when he passed on, then that kind of had the the father, Joe, uh, kind of put the political hopes and aspirations on young Jack's shoulders. And uh, he became originally a congressman and then a senator, and then he uh, climbed to the presidency from there. Some say by ill-gotten means. Um, If you look at the 1960 election, there's two real theories of thought. Uh, John F. Kennedy being the charismatic guy, the photogenic guy, the candidate made for television, of course, in 1960 debates with Richard Nixon being the first televised presidential debate, the first time that America was brought into the process via television of the election of a president and the first time that there was uh, in the television age a candidate that was beyond like the fatherly Dwight D. Eisenhower image, uh, a trusted you know general in the war and mm-hmm. – Came kind of with his pre-built reputation. Here's this young upstart out of Massachusetts, and you know how the rest of the the country feels about uh, New England politicians, you know. So he's trying to make his way against Richard Nixon, who had the name recognition of being the vice president under Ike, and he, you would think, would be the the favorite candidate. But the problem with that being, once it came time to be on television, he was visibly nervous, Uh, he had the five o'clock shadow, he was sweating profusely, he was not comfortable, he was not, well, he's not a charismatic guy anyway, really, but he just was not comfortable in the television age, whereas Jack Kennedy kind of thrived under that pressure, Uh, because, you know, he saw himself more Hollywood than he did Washington, and that set the stage for the new breed of what we were looking for that ushered in the era of Camelot, as it came to be known.
2: You're also forgetting Kennedy was also a war hero.
1: Well, that's where we'll get into some of that. That is uh, part of the, what I'm talking about when I say he's been mythologized a little bit. All right. And, uh, of course, a lot of the information that I'll, I'll be talking about tonight uh, comes from a book called Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy. It's by a man named Jim Mars, who used to work closely with the late Dr. Melanson uh, on a lot of issues. And this book came recommended to me during that course that I took at UMass Dartmouth, Political Assassinations in America. And I've had it ever since then, and it's something that I, I treasure. It's it's one of the prizes of my collection. As a matter of fact, I have an actual a library of assassination books, and all of them are in storage right now uh, due to the ever-increasing Spooky South Coast library, but a lot of them are in storage right now. But this is the one book that I keep out, the one book that I constantly find myself going back and referencing and just totally rereading. Uh, there's There's another book that I have as well that has... A lot of photographic evidence, uh, autopsy photos and the like. And that's another one that I I prize. but I didn't keep out. I'm afraid, you know, the government will break in and steal that one from me or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding there, but...
2: Yeah,
1: you gotta talk about that. Uh, but uh, if anybody wants to join in, in the discussion, uh, you know, being a young guy, I was not alive when Kennedy was president, and a lot of what I'm talking about is uh, historically. So if you'd like to, you know, maybe share some of your remembrances even of President Kennedy uh, or Senator Kennedy, if you remember him way back then, you can give us a call 508 996 0500, 508 500, and just share your remembrances of him, uh, your. Your thoughts on was there a conspiracy to kill him? Uh, Was Lee Harvey Oswald the sole assassin? But working through some of these issues, as you said, uh, John Kennedy was a war hero, the PT-109 incident. Uh, And why don't you walk everybody through what happened there for those who might be unfamiliar.
2: All right. Uh, Kennedy was the commander of a PT boat, PT-109. They were on patrol, I believe, in the Marianas, uh, a destroyer uh, ran them over. The uh, Japanese destroyer uh, it sank their ship, and they wound up stranded on it. The, the surviving crew wound up uh, stranded on a desert island for roughly about a week and a half. Kennedy was able to get a message out by carving on a coconut and giving it to a local native and. The native brought it to a, I believe, Australian Coast Watcher. And that Coast Watcher, in turn, got a hold of uh, the American Navy. They sent a PBY, I believe, and they were able to retrieve Kennedy and the surviving crew. And
1: he actually uh, he pulled his wounded chief engineer, Patrick McMahon, to a nearby island by swimming for four hours yeah. with a man on his back. Yeah. Held in place by gripping a strap of the man's life jacket between his teeth.
2: Well, don't forget, Kennedy also had broken his back or uh, severely injured his back eight, during this entire event. So he he was in a sense disabled himself and still rescuing his crew.
1: And that was uh, those were back problems that actually plagued him uh, for the rest of his, his life, life as well. Yes. But so
2: how did I do out of memory?
1: Uh, very well, very well. Looking at Jim Marr's book, and so. He had this, as I said, the, this idealization, this mythologi- mythologizing of, of his life. Uh, I mean, granted, his accolades were well-deserved, but at the same time he was cultivating an image to, for political purposes. And uh, the 1960 election, uh, believe it or not, was a lot closer than a lot of people might remember in terms of history. I'm trying to trying to find the actual numbers here. I know they have them here on, on election day. Uh, Kennedy won by the slimmest margin in American – one of the sl- slimmest margins in American history. He polled twenty seven and ninety six votes to Nixon's 34,108,456 votes, a margin of 49.9 percent to 49.6 percent. And if you listen to some of the stories and some of the theories regarding this election – Must
2: have been the hanging chads.
1: <laughs> this is pre-hanging mm-hmm. chads. We can't blame them for this, but who we can blame, uh, according to a lot of this, uh, I don't want to say the assassination conspiracists, but the election conspiracists, that uh, the mafia was involved, that Chicago delivered uh, a great deal of votes.
2: Because Joe, his old man, uh, went and petitioned for him in certain unsavory circles. He was
1: tied in. Joe Joe Kennedy, uh, according to the history, uh, was a... A bootlegger during no, the Prohibition era.
2: I, I can, I can pretty much verify that because my grandfather used to bootleg with him. Oh well,
1: there you go. <laughs> but uh, I'm not disputing the fact that he was a bootlegger. But uh, the the mafia ties, I'll 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 leave that to speculation. Uh, but he was friendly with uh, with Sam Giancana and the Chicago Mafia. And the story goes the Chicago Mafia helped deliver Kennedy that election by bringing him these extra votes out there. And One of the accusations is, you know, dead people were actually voting for John F. Kennedy. Uh, Some of these people who shouldn't have been eligible to vote because they had passed on were handing in ballots. And, you know, the election process not being the automated system that it is today, it was a little bit easier for monkey business back then. So that plays into something we'll discuss later in some of these assassination theories. But he becomes the president. uh, Immediately, the country is torn. Uh, Not because of his presidency, but just the way issues had been building up at that time. Uh, You have the civil rights movement. Uh, John F. Kennedy was a big proponent of uh, taking America into space uh, at a time when we were losing the space race to the Soviet Union. Uh, In terms of the national defense against the communist threat 90 miles off the coast of Florida down in Cuba, that was another very polarizing issue that was going on. Uh, Just everywhere he went, I mean, there was even... Some internal issues uh, in terms of agriculture. As soon as he is elected president, one of the first things that he does in naming his brother Bobby as the uh, as the attorney, uh, attorney general. general is they immediately begin going after the mafia. They immediately start uh, prosecuting the supposed mob bosses and these mob connections. So if they were involved in getting... John F. Kennedy elected, that's a big slap in the face. Hey, thanks for all your help. Now we're going to throw you in jail before you can tell people that you helped us get elected.
2: Yes, let's bite the hand that fed us.
1: Yeah, well, and also cover our asses at the same time. Yeah. So it all plays into just a very tumultuous first three years of the Kennedy presidency. Uh, now, does this mean that you know the, the government wanted him killed? We'll get into all of that stuff, definitely. Uh, But just to set the stage a little bit for those who either may have forgotten or who weren't around then, just that was the political climate. I mean, there was unrest in Southeast Asia. Uh, All this stuff was starting to build up. Uh, America was going away from being the uh, idealized American dream that uh, a lot of people felt that it was. Uh, Look at the climate, the social climate in the 50s. In the 1950s, things were... You know, I don't want to say sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows everywhere, as the song said, but coming out of World War II, the baby boomer generation that was uh, coming up and was being born at the time—I mean, they had a good life in the '50s. Uh, There was good financial structure in the country. There was industry was on the rise. Uh, The ideal of the nuclear family—you know, not glow-in-the-dark nuclear—but the the 2.5 kids and the two-car garage and the dog and you know the acre of land. That was starting to really become prominent. That was the way America was for the most part.
2: From the early 50s into the mid-50s, yeah. But what you're missing is what started the decline was the events that happened in Korea. Well, that be- that began the downside. That
1: began the downside because no longer were we uh, fighting for the, the world's honor and the defense of the world as we were in World War II, but now we were getting involved in smaller skirmishes. Now we were pushing democracy. We went from defending freedom and democracy to kind of pushing it to kind of, uh, especially as we entered into the Vietnam war, really,
2: I would choose the term really strongly advocating it.
1: <laughs> well, that works too. So, but we are starting to see a little bit of a crack in that American dream, uh, as Kennedy takes office, um, Now, what does that mean in terms of the way Americans felt toward him? Well, he had pretty good approval ratings uh, in the early going. The way he handled the Bay of Pigs invasion uh, actually got him rave reviews, even though he felt that it was a total disaster.
2: He didn't even want to do it in the first place. He got coerced into it.
1: And and, Well, why don't you walk everybody through that, if if you can, off memory.
2: (laughs) I had to open my mouth. Okay. um, Okay. Castro, after he came to power, uh, had obviously a bunch of en- enemies uh, in particular, which is ironically enough, was a lot of the mafia because the mafia was uh, basically using uh, Havana as a place to wash money through the casinos
1: yeah, it was like there it was like uh, it was las Vegas right as Las Vegas was losing its Las Vegas ness to the mafia, right. they shifted operations down there.
2: Correct. And what had happened is uh, Castro had seized all of the um, casinos, all of the funds, and locked everything up. There were also a bunch of other patriots of uh, Cuba that wanted to get rid of him. So they tried to land these uh, expatriated Cubans back on Cuba to start another revolution within Cuba to oust Castro. And that, of course, failed. It was kind of forced down his throat by um, the CIA, who had other agendas on their mind, uh, some of which I guess we'll never know.
1: There's actually, uh, and I don't know if this is kind of just the the stories that have sprung up in the air since, but there was actually a, uh, a plan devised, a mission developed to take out Castro, that became the blueprint of how... Mongoose. It, it, well, I mean, if... <laughs> it's an actual existing operation? It,
2: I believe so, if, if I recall correctly. It was called Operation Mongoose. Mongoose is actually also another one... Kennedy started it, and later on, I don't know if it's written in this book, it's supposed that Mongoose this uh, rogue organization or this organization within the cia is also the one that took him out because well, that's he was I'm going mean,
1: to yeah that's what i'm getting to i know mongoose was the term that they used for for castro and the idea was to take him out they also used some other terms that we can't really stay on the yeah. radio but uh <laughs> and but they did want to take him out and that they adapted some of these plans if you believe that the government mm-hmm. was involved and the cia was involved they adapted some of these plans to handle the uh, Kennedy's uh, assassination as well. But, I mean, they tried things, stupid things, from exploding cigars to... Uh, poisoning. Poisoning, you know, all these different attempts that they made at, at taking out Castro. So that was...
2: One of the best ones, I, I recall, specifically, they had a, a a disease or a type of poison that was uh, biological in nature, and uh, they froze it to keep it fresh, because Castro had a particular milkshake every day. They got the material all the way to the same refrigerator that Castro ate from. And now Castro had a food tester, believe it or not, everywhere he went. And they were going to try and slip this to him, and unfortunately the material remained frozen and he wasn't able to ingest it, and, you know, the CIA missed. That was the closest opportunity they ever had.
1: And so this is the the climate that was uh, going on in terms of the uh, Cuban crisis. At the same time, uh, now at the same time that all this is going on, there is a a soldier. Uh, I'm sorry. Was he, he? was in what part of the army was was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in?
2: He was a marine, I believe. He was a marine.
1: Okay. I'm sorry. You, you know, I know this stuff <laughs> off the top of my head, but I but yes, without, he a was guessed, a without a guest without a guest to rely on, I tend to uh, to go dumb, but. And he was involved in, well, according to him, he was involved in working on the U-2 spy plane, uh, which, of course, if you recall the...
2: Kelly Johnson's Skunk Works, U-2, developed in the early uh, beginnings of the 60s. Uh, actually, in the late 50s, 58, I believe is when it was first put together by Kelly Johnson in the Lockheed Martin Marietta Skunk Works. Uh, it was actually developed in Area 51, of all places. Well, you know, actually Groom Lake, as it was known back then. And uh, it flew actually from out of Florida. It Its ceiling, max ceiling, back then was uh, 89,000 feet, speed of about Mach 2, Mach
1: 2.5. And so, uh, supposedly now, Harvey Oswald was a radar operator... Working on the U-2 spy plane project, and he became privy, without anybody realizing, to some certain confidential information. Uh, now, what happened is, I don't have an exact timeline in front of me, uh, but when he left the Marines, he uh, essentially he had, I think, a two-week off period where he was where he went home to his mother, and I think he told her that it was uh, a break, that he was going back. But in effect, he tried to go to the Soviet Union. He tried to defect, and he went to the Soviet people, and he told them, you know, I don't believe in America anymore. I believe strongly in communism. I want to become a Soviet citizen. Uh, Now, they denied him, I want to say, two attempts at first. They denied him access into the country. They denied him a chance to come and uh, expatriate himself in the United States. But when they found out that he had worked on the U-2 spy plane project, which, again, I think that information came up not the first couple of times that he tried. Right. Uh, when that information came up, all of a sudden they become interested in him, uh, and he becomes a Soviet citizen. Uh, that's where he, he met his wife Marlena there. Uh, Marina, I'm sorry. Mar- Marina, yeah. And they pumped him for information while he was there. Uh, supposedly he got a high end factory job as a supervisor, which is something that first of all, for a foreigner to get that job was unheard of. But for somebody to come in and take that job is even more uncommon uh, and you know he, here he comes, he marries a, a very beautiful Russian woman he you know, he develops his family. And, I mean, he just becomes assimilated into the Soviet society very quickly, and he seems to have a lot of the perks that others don't have in this communist, everybody shares society. Which, you know, as we know from his own apartment, yeah, his own apartment. It it didn't. It doesn't work. Communism, as the way the Soviet Union was putting it. Well, I don't want to sound like I'm advocating communism, but the what they thought was going to work didn't actually work in theory. There, the the worker class was very. Um, Downtrodden, uh, very impoverished, and Oswald raised above that. He did not experience any of that when, theoretically, being an outsider, he should have been kind of at the bottom of the food chain there.
2: I work with a number of people that have come from Russia, and they have, you know, some of them were alive during, you know, Stalinistic times, and they would tell me stories of growing up in the 50s and 60s. In, in Russia and the hardships that they would have to endure is absolutely incredible. And these are some well-educated people.
1: And, and here is Lee Harvey Oswald just walking in and not having to deal with any of that. So for whatever reason, he was favored by the KGB or the Soviet government. And while he's there, he, he shares with them whatever information he shares with them. The question is now, what was he doing in Russia? Was he sharing information with the Soviets in order to stay in the Soviet Union? Or was he acting as a double agent for the United States government and uh, giving them little bits of information in exchange for uh, getting more out of them that he could bring back to the United States? Either way, the 2 spy plane is shot down. Uh, uh, Gary Francis Powers was captured. Francis Gary Powers. Francis Gary Powers. Uh, he, he was captured.
2: Uh, on May Day. And 1962, I believe it was. Yeah, I'm, I know it was May Day. It was a May Day celebration.
1: So so here this you know implicates Oswald as somebody. This is where the theory really starts to gain credence that he was giving away this information to people. Uh, so what we'll do is why don't we take a break now. We'll burn off the rest of the commercials for this hour. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk a little bit about – what Oswald was doing as John Kennedy was in power and as his presidency was taking shape, uh, the similar path or dissimilar path that Lee Harvey Oswald was on. And if you want to join into the discussion, 508-996-0500, 508 500 What we'll do is we'll talk about this a little bit more. We'll take a news break at, at 11 o'clock. We'll do the week and weird when we come back, and then we'll jump right back into this JFK discussion. So uh, please come at us with any questions you might have, any thoughts, uh, any information that you'd like to share that you've heard, or just your remembrances about Kennedy, about the way that you felt uh, when when you found out that he had been assassinated. So We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. We are talking about the assassination of John F. Kennedy, November 22nd, 1963. A day that people who were alive at the time and who uh, remember that day say that they will never forget. Uh, A lot of people, when 9 11 happened, Kind of tried to equate that to the feeling that they had when John F. Kennedy was shot, but at the same time, I mean, uh, by the time 9/11 happened, uh, we understood our place in the world, we understood the the global stage, we understood that terrorism went on, we just thought it didn't happen here. Uh, and uh, with the Kennedy assassination, it was the all of a sudden the great infallible United States, you know, was without without its leader, and, and just I can't imagine the sheer volume of just bewilderment and, and sadness that must have uh, affected the nation at the time and to f- if it really was the work of a great we can trace back the roots of it and that's what we're talking a little bit about tonight uh, some conspiracy theories about who may have assassinated John F. Kennedy this is something that we try to touch upon uh, when we hit the eve of some of the bigger assassinations uh, and of course without our uh, great mentor in this area Dr. Philip Melanson from the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth who passed away Uh, earlier this year we we've kind of lost the the link to that that we had so hopefully there is somebody at UMass that is stepping into his role or trying to step into his role uh, continue a lot of his research run the RFK archives over there and uh, please get in touch with us because uh, we we definitely need to have uh, a more of an authority on this as as much research as we've done and the knowledge that we have acquired there's so much more that can still be found out and Sooner or later, there will be that break. I think – what year is it when when they can release the actual uh, – all the information? I know when the Warren Commission convened. It's I don't supposed go.
2: to be 50 years after the Warren Commission, if I'm not mistaken. So if that's
1: the case and we're you, seven uh, years away?
2: Yeah, something like that, yeah. But,
1: which essentially, of course, was the Warren Commission's idea of uh, – at least according to the conspiracy theorists, let's lock it all away for 50 years because by the time they release it all – We'll all be dead, and nobody can go after us for, you know, whatever they might Dropping find. Dropping the then, ball. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I believe the only remaining sole surviving member of the Warren Commission now is Gerald Ford. Correct. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's going to come out and say anything. Uh, and what, he's 80-something yeah. now? Yeah. So uh, I think that we are just going to have to wait for the next seven years. There was a huge push when the Oliver Stone film JFK came out. There was a huge push to try to get those uh, archives opened up early, and uh, I'm surprised that with the Freedom of Information Act and all these, you know.
2: See, that's different. That that Those are sealed documents. There's a difference between something that's classified and something that's sealed by a court.
1: Okay, so this is because it's it's been sealed by the Warren Commission, it's exempt from that? Correct. Okay. Well, either way, we're seven years away from being able to get in there, and I'm sure Oliver Stone and, and Jim Mars will be among the first people in line. Uh, and I'll be anxiously awaiting their full reports. Uh, but we were talking a little bit before the break about Lee Harvey Oswald, his time in the Soviet Union, and what he uh, was involved in over there. When he came back to the United States, it's just it's a jumbled mess trying to follow where his life went from there. I mean... Uh, I know he was in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area, for a while, uh, and he was involved in pro uh, pro uh, Cuban a, a pro Cuban organization that was anti Castro. Correct. And uh, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee.
2: Well, actually, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee is well. That was when, the pro Castro one that he was involved. right. <laughs> See, and you know, that's the one he was. Uh, putting out in uh, New Orleans.
1: Yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about when I say it's a jumbled mess, and without having full detailed notes in front of me and tr- trying to work off the top of our heads,
2: <laughs> it's it gets, all right, I'm here. <laughs>
1: it gets a little bit confusing, but yes, he was involved in both anti and pro Castro uh, propaganda. Uh, it, it's documented by the CIA that he was involved, and by the FBI, that he was involved in both sides of the Cuban conflict. Uh, it was in new orleans that uh, there was a district attorney or a, an investigator i'm sorry private right. investigator by the name of guy banister correct uh, who was as it turns out kind of the secret financer of this fair play for for cuba committee and it just started this jumbled mess that jim garrison the district attorney of new orleans in the 70s was able, in the late 60s and into the 70s was able to get a little bit of the information out of
2: well it's also been found out that supposedly and uh, there's a woman that uh, was part of this and who was supposedly supposed to have been Oswald's girlfriend at the time. She was a, uh, I believe, a biologist, microbiologist. She was uh, responsible for cooking up some of these potions that were supposed to go in to take care of Castro. Now, it's said that Oswald was working for the company as a I like to affectionately call them.
1: Or, as the common folk know them, the Central Intelligence Agency.
2: Yeah. Uh, He was working for them. Uh, Now, uh, he was working for the Fair Play for Cuba, which was a pro-Castro organization Mm -hmm. as supposedly a front to gain information because, as you were talking about, the Fair Play for Cuba uh, headquarters was in the same office building as Guy Bannister's. Uh, place, which mm-hmm. is the doors, you know, you entered in on one street, you know, it's one address, but you could go around yeah, the corner, like a, like a, a corner store, right. And yeah. they
1: do a good job in the film JFK of, uh, of pointing that out, of uh, just visually utilizing a building in the same effect. Right. So, yeah, we are coming up on the news. So, what we'll do is, uh, we'll put this on hold, uh, till after the week in weird. Seems a little bit strange to kind of jump into this discussion with a little bit of the week in weird, but that's why it exists, uh, in the spot that it does to kind of break up some of the, the levity of what we're talking about, uh, at times. So, uh, please, we, we would love to hear from you about the JFK. Uh, presidency, about his legacy, about the assassination, about the conspiracy or whether or not there's a conspiracy. Uh, In the second hour, we'll talk about the single bullet theory. We will talk about uh, some of the theories behind who may have been involved in the plot to kill John F. Kennedy. And what we'll do is we'll try to bring up as many of the possibilities as we can. And then maybe at the end, we can talk about personally what we kind of drift toward we think is actually going on so but uh coming up now we're going to, we're going to have the cbs news and on the other side we'll do the week and weird we'll talk about some strange stories that you might not have heard and then on the other side of that it'll be back into the discussion about john f kennedy's assassination and of course anything to do with the paranormal call us anytime 508 996 500 508-2910-500 we'll be right back in a little bit here on spooky south coast everybody, Tim Weisberg here from Spooky South Coast, wishing you a happy holiday season. And of course, now it's time to start getting that shopping done. We've had our Thanksgiving turkey, and now we've got to think about heading out to the stores and finding just the right gift. Well, you don't actually need to do that anymore, because through the wonders of the Internet, you can do all your shopping at home. And even if you'd like to give somebody something homemade, but you don't have the time to do so, well, NetBits has you covered. If you just go to their website, Knitbits.etsy.com, that's K N I T B I T S dot E T S Y dot com, you can find great homemade crocheted and knitted items for sale. Uh, right now on Knitbits, they have a crocheted cell phone holder for $350, they have crocheted baby bibs for $10, and even a complete baby set for $25. And if you go to the Knitbits site, you can also contact Knit Bits there as well. If there's something you'd like to have made that isn't there, or if there's something you like, you'd like to see in a different color, just shoot them an email, let them know what you're looking for, and they'll be happy to comply. And, of course, all items on Knit Bits website is guaranteed. They have 100% positive feedback. Imagine the smiles on people's faces Christmas morning when they open up a homemade knitted item from Knit Bits. So if you would like to find out more, again, knitbits.etsy.com. So, from all of us at Spooky South Coast and from everyone at Knitbits, happy holidays and happy shopping.
2: right, boys. Spooky
0: South Coast is burr. I hate this. I
2: like to torture them. I
3: can smell you. I'm not afraid you.
0: Supernatural
1: or something that isn't supposed to happen, it Welcome back. Hour number two here of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, who has been extremely silent tonight. Matt, you want to say hi to the fine folks out there listening?
3: Hello, folks.
1: How was your Thanksgiving, Matt?
3: It was turk-tastic.
1: Turk-tastic. That's a very uh that's a very good word. Was that is that a Native American word? Uh sure. And uh did you uh, enjoy uh, I know you had something a little bit different this year. You had smoked turkey.
3: For the first time ever we had smoked turkey. How how was uh, that? It It was good. I'll I'll say it was good, but it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't Thanksgiving if it's not cooked
1: and if it didn't take 4 like, hours and Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And uh, and Matt Moniz, uh, our science advisor here as well, he smokes a lot of meat. He has his own smoker, and and he's – have you ever smoked turkey?
2: Mm, Well, we've done turkey breast and over the whole
1: turkey. I know that some people like to deep fry their turkey. That's the hot new thing to do.
2: Oh, that is good
1: stuff. But uh, I I like mine the old original slow-roasted way because uh, basically I'm not the one cooking it, so I can say that. You know, if I was around cooking it, I'd be like, yeah, we're having microwave turkey. I'll buy some sliced turkey breast from Stop and Shop, throw it in the microwave, and pour a can of gravy over it. And there you go, Thanksgiving dinner made by Tim. That's just the uh, the cheap and lazy way to do it. But uh, while we're uh, giving thanks for things that we're thankful for, of course, we are thankful for all of you who listen each and every week. Uh, we'd be even more thankful if uh, you would help spread the word of Spooky South Coast, let people know that we're here uh, both. Over the WBSM airwaves, as well as on the podcast and online, all over the place, uh, we're working with PlanetParanormal.com to try to get the live stream running. And uh, in addition, one, another thing that we'd like to say that we're thankful for, and offer congratulations to our friend Brian Weezy Hanwa, who welcomed the birth of his daughter Mackenzie this past week. So it's uh we had let's see we had Dave Schrader from Darkness on the Edge of Town Radio. He uh, had a young one come. Two weeks ago, and now this week it was Brian. So, uh, hey, Matt Costa, when, when are you going to get going here? Don't jinx me. Okay. So uh, what about Chewy, your pet mole? Is, uh, uh, Chewy a father already? About that. Okay. No. Oh, no? That was the smoked turkey that you had for Thanksgiving? It's just
3: say moles don't live very long. Okay.
1: So we need to update the web page. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that in mind, why don't we jump into a little something we like to do that we call The Week in Weird. And the first story that we have here, not exactly really all that weird, but extremely interesting. Uh, Humans show big DNA differences, according to bbcnews.com. Scientists have shown that the genetic makeup of humans can vary hugely, far more than was previously thought. A UK-led team made a detailed analysis of the DNA found in 270 people and identified vast regions to be duplicated or even missing. A great many of these variations are in areas of the genome that would not damage our health. Matthew Hurles and colleagues told the journal Nature. But others are, and can be shown to play a role in a number of disorders. We were certainly surprised. We expected to find that there was to be some variation, but we weren't expecting to find quite this much, Dr. Hurls told BBC News. To date, the investigation of the human genome has tended to focus on very small changes in DNA that can have a deleterious effect at the scale of just one or a few bases or letters in the biochemical code that programs cellular activity. For many years, scientists have also been able to look through microscopes to see very large-scale abnormalities that arise when whole DNA bundles or chromosomes are truncated or duplicated. But it is only recently that researchers have developed the molecular tools to focus on medium-scale variations at the scale of thousands of DNA letters. So essentially what they're able to do now is they're able to get deeper into what might be causing some of these rifts, and and hopefully that can lead to better uh, disease research. I know that there was a, a very large break recently in the ALS, uh, trying to crack the cause of ALS, and ho- hopefully this can continue. Matt Moniz, are, are you working on this in your garage at home?
2: I will not comment.
1: Well, I I know some DNA experiments that you've been working on, but uh, you're looking more to fuse various kinds of DNA together that shouldn't be. Kind of. Uh, extracting... Uh, neanderthal dna from ice and trying to cross breed it with elephants i don't know who knows what you're working on man <laughs> you've got some crazy stuff. he's got some practical stuff in the works too folks so don't worry about that sooner or later he'll have he'll have something that's marketable and that'll help you know fund the research for the really crazy stuff the he does live on an island so i'm just saying i'm not making any island of dr moreau references here but he does live on an island so do keep feel pain <laughs> keep that in mind all right matt what do you have for us Matt Moniz. Ah.
2: Comes from the BBC. BBC News reports that wireless power will soon be a reality. U.S. researchers have outlined a relatively simple system that could deliver power to devices such as laptops or MP3 players without the use of wires. A system was introduced from researchers at MIT that used electromagnetic wave resonance. Of course, resonance is a phenomenon that causes an object to vibrate when energy of a certain frequency is applied. When the energy is applied to objects, it, is still, it still resonates off of them in sort of a tail, which will flicker off the surface and can be several meters long. If you bring other resonant objects within the same frequency close enough to these tails, then it turns out that the energy can tunnel from one object to another or so says Professor Sola Jacknick of MIT, any energy not diverted into a gadget or appliance is simply reabsorbed. The system that the team has described would be able to transfer energy over three to five meters through a simple copper antenna designed to have long enough lived resistance. One of the first attempts at This type of work was done by the 19th century physicist-engineer Nikola Tesla, who experimented with a long-range wireless wireless energy system uh, that transferred energy. Uh, His most uh, ambiguous attempt was the 29-meter-high aerial known as the Wardenclyffe Tower in New York, which failed when they ran out of money. Though the project at MIT is still in the theoretical stages of development, researchers feel this is the most sound theory for wireless energy transfer. Now, i got a little something to add to this. It's also reported, or been proposed, that Nikola Tesla, while trying to work out the bugs on this, also supposedly was the one that caused the event that happened in Tunguska, in the Siberian region, him playing around with this energy and this energy supposedly refracted off of the uh, upper atmosphere and came down in that area, leveling it.
1: Well, we could do an entire program on Tesla. Uh, Oh, you have no idea. So many uh, interesting uh, turns and avenues in that tale that we could... We could share with our audience, but I, I, I have two lame jokes that I have to work in here right now. <laughs> so first of all, I think they've already invented uh, that wireless power. It's called batteries.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: that they seem to be successful so far. Uh, now, the way that they need to increase that is they need to make batteries last longer, which, of course, they can, but they don't, because batteries need to be disposable and rechargeable and all that so they can sell you more. Right. So... And then the other lame joke I have to make is that I am a big fan of all of Tesla's work, especially the five-man five acoustical jam album, which had their cover of Signs. Matt Costa, take it away. Uh,
3: how do you follow that? I don't know.
1: You know how you follow it? Uh, Pretend it didn't happen. Okay.
3: Uh, this story was brought to my attention by Sergeant Nicholas T. Roberge of the U.S. Army Reserve. Sergeant Nick? Sergeant Nick. The Ohio Lottery picks match Ohio game score. Ohio State, Ohio State's 42-39 victory over Michigan also was lucky for players of the Ohio Lottery. Shortly after Saturday's game ended, the numbers 4-2-3-9 were, were drawn for the Ohio's pick four game. Lottery spokesman, or spokeswoman, Martel Cohen said 401 $1 bets were made that picked four four two three nine in order and each bet won five thousand dollars. The odds of the numbers turning up in that combination were about ten thousand to one. Cohen said nine hundred and thirteen one dollar bets were placed on any combination of the winning numbers and paid two hundred dollars apiece. The lottery paid a total of two point two dollars in winnings. The football game finished at seven thirteen PM and the drawing was at seven forty five PM. It said that most of the bets with the winning numbers were placed after the game ended, but is not known how much money was wagered in that period.
1: That is incredible. Of course that being like the biggest football game of all time, uh, last Saturday. And I, I just what moved that many people to run out and, and put down those numbers is is incredible. I wonder if that happens all the time after games and we just don't hear about it because it doesn't come up as the winning combination. But for a game that had the, the national attention Such a huge game, and you know, for for this to work, that's what you call synergy. Now, Ohio uh, was the big winner, both in the game and in the lottery. We'll see what happens if the two teams meet once again uh, for the national championship in the Fiesta Bowl. Just I'm making that up because I don't really follow college sports, so I'm pretty sure that that's yeah, Fiesta Bowl. All right, Uh, and and Matt Hoss, you had uh, one more story that you wanted to share with us, uh, a little bit uh, more even weirder than that.
3: Yes. Glowing oceans spark interest off the coast of Africa. For hundreds of years, ship captains in the Indian Ocean have been writing of nighttime voyages through eerie stretches of water. Areas where the surface of the ocean glowed so brightly that uh, sailors could read books on the deck at midnight. These milky waters were said to cover thousands of square miles. Marine biologists used to ignore these kinds of reports, but now they don't. A group of satellite photos has changed their opinions. Satellite images recently captured captured a large patch of glowing water off the coast of Somalia. The glowing area in the photos is about the size of Connecticut, and research, researchers think billions of glowing bacteria are the source, but cannot be sure until testing is completed. So,
1: I, I don't have anything on that. Matt, do you have anything to add? Is it funny?
2: No, well, it's not funny. It's just okay. simple bioluminescence.
1: <laughs> is, it, is it the
3: same bioluminescence that... uh?
2: That you when, find in your glow sticks, yeah. When
3: somebody pees in a pool and you put that chemical in. <laughs> that, you know, that's, is that different? That's vile luminescence. Is that even true? <laughs> do they even have a that, chemical? That,
1: we talked about that in the Urban Legend show, we you don't remember? That's That's not real. It, it's bogus. All those times I could have peed in the pool and I was afraid to. Well,
2: um, yeah, there is a chemical you can add into it, but you wouldn't want to be swimming in the pool in the first place I, to make it work.
1: I got a, uh, a lot of pool peeing to do this summer to make up for that, now that I found out that it isn't real. <laughs> Watch out. My in-laws have it in-ground, so you know, they're, you know right now they're listening. They're saying, no, not at our house.
3: I can just see you standing on the, uh, the diving board.
1: Yeah. Oh, let's, yeah, just go right into the board. All right.
3: Heart. All right, let's move on.
1: <laughs> we're talking about urine now. Well, urine for a big treat when we come back because <laughs> we're going to continue the discussion on the JFK assassination uh, right here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Oh, who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good.
1: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the Silent Assassin Matt Costa and Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and we are discussing some of the assassination theories in the death of John F. Kennedy. Uh, the 43rd anniversary of this past Wednesday, November 22nd, and we are talking about some of the uh, believed uh, some of the theories that have gained some credence over the years uh, for the beginning part of the show, we gave you the background information of what was going on and a little bit about Lee Harvey Oswald's life and how he was kind of involved in some, I don't know, I don't want to say illegal activities, but some illicit activities that could have been working on either side, either for or against the United States of America, depending on which side you listen to and which side you believe. Uh, What we do know is that uh, he wasn't really a a great shot in the Army. Uh.
2: Marines, but yeah. Yeah, Marines. I'm going to keep
1: doing that. That's
2: all right. How Uh, about using the term service?
1: Yeah, I'm one of those guys that just uses Army as the general uh, idea for the military. And I have to explain it. It goes back to when I was uh, a youngster and I played with the little green soldiers. You know what I mean? Remember those, the little green soldiers? Mm -hmm. Because they only came in Army, I was kind of not exposed to the other branches of the service. But, uh, yeah, Oswald was not a crack shot, Uh, certainly not a skilled enough marksman, to uh, have hit so many targets that he did with one bullet, but we'll get into all of that. Uh, So he's involved in a lot of these strange activities. He essentially kind of goes underground when he comes back and just pops up here and there uh, whenever it benefits, eventually benefits the idea of putting him together as the Patsy. Uh, Now, one of the, uh, uh, there was another assassination prior to uh, Kennedy's, uh, a a local, uh, I think we were, kicking around we think that it was a a, um, a general
2: uh, general uh, a judge also comes to mind yeah, I, the, I i think he was involved in a couple of it, actually I, I attempted murders i know there
1: was one that uh and I, i'm looking through the jim mars book here and i can't remember of my head i apologize but uh so he, i mean he had popped up as a suspect in that case so uh, his radicalism was well known. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. At this point, he was uh, well known to be dropping hints. Uh, there was a, there's a scene in the film JFK, which is an actual event that happened, where he's on a firing range and he's shooting at his own target, and he takes a shot at the guy next to him's target, uh, seemingly on you know on purpose to try to get the guy riled up. And the guy comes over and says, you know, what are you shooting at my target? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I was shooting at that sob Kennedy. So, little hints that he dropped along the way, uh, and for whatever reason, again, we can get into all of that, but (laughs) I think Matt knows exactly what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. there. So, but here is the creation of Lee Harvey Oswald as either a Patsy or as an assassin prototype, depending on which, which way you're looking at it. If he was a lone gunman... We can see this pattern developing, this anti-Kennedy feeling, this uh, anti-American hostility, this pro-Cuba and pro-Castro, maybe, uh, effect as well. And then on the other side, if you want to see that it's Patsy, here he is building the case against him unwittingly when the time comes that the deed is actually done. Now, how much did he know at this point if that was the case? Uh, He's the kind of guy that they had to keep kind of quiet because he would talk. He would... uh, say things to people that he shouldn't say so i'm sure he was pretty much in the dark and a lot of the stuff that was going on uh while this was going on so we know that lee harvey oswald at this point is being groomed one way or another for the deed that's about to be done so if he was the lone gunman now we flash forward to dallas uh november of 1963 he has a job working at the Texas School Book Depository, which I'm not sure exactly when he got the job uh, prior to Kennedy's arrival, but it wasn't... Well,
2: well before that.
1: But it wasn't... It, it's not like he was there for years. No. So he gets a job at the Texas School Book Depository, which is essentially just a big building right on Dealey Plaza where they house all the school books uh, that they're not using, and and that's where they dole them all out from. And that was right on the presidential motorcade route when... The uh, when the Kennedys visited Dallas. So uh, we'll follow the lone assassin, uh, the lone nut theory here for a little while, and, and we'll, what we'll say is he was working on the sixth floor of the building, or he was working in the building, but he went up to the sixth floor. He had a Manlicker Carcano rifle that he ordered through mail order. Um,
2: using, using a false name.
1: Using a false name. Well, uh, did he use the Hidell name when he ordered the?
2: Yeah, J. Hidel.
1: Yeah, it, it, there was Jay Heidel and also Alec Hydel, which is a name that he used when he was over in Russia. As well, he also used, I believe he also used Leon Trotsky Oswald, too. I'm not sure. But he did have many aliases that he used right. uh, to cover his tracks. But he ordered this, this Mannlicher Carcano rifle. Not exactly the ideal uh, piece of equipment for what he was trying to do. No. So he builds a sniper's nest uh, up in the six-story window. That overlooks Daly Plaza. Now, at this time, the presidential route was published in the newspaper for everybody to read, even though it went against – even at that time. Now, it's something that a lot of people
2: – First and only time it's ever been done, if I'm
1: not mistaken. A lot of people overlook this and they say back then they didn't put – they would put this information in the newspaper yeah. and that's – this is why they don't do it anymore. But that's not true. This was leaked out in the newspaper and it shouldn't have been even then. And so minute-by-minute account of exactly where Kennedy was supposed to be was published in the newspaper, which gives Oswald the ability to track where this route's going to be. He knows when to go up into that six-story window. He can do it in a short enough amount of time that his co-workers won't really notice that he's gone. So he climbs up uh, into this little sniper's nest that he's built. As the motorcade comes into Dealey Plaza, which is a big square, essentially, he's coming around and it has to make... Ninety-degree turns, and at one point a hundred and twenty-degree turn, which is uh, against Secret Service protocol. Even then, mm. but he has to make has to make this turn, and it's going at a speed of what was it, fifteen or twenty miles an hour? If that. So it was definitely slow enough that he had plenty of time to line up his sight. And as the motorcade is coming around, you've all seen, you know, reenactments. You've all seen films. You've seen JFK, I'm sure. And as the presidential limousine. Without a top on it, which he was supposed to have a top on it, but he wanted to ride with it down because uh, he wanted the people to see him even though the the sun was a little bit hot that day. And I know that Jackie didn't really want the roof to be down, but he rode with it down because he was a man of the people. And as they were coming around, as he... I forget the actual name of the street, but as they're coming around Dealey Plaza and heading toward the underpass near the Grassy Knoll, which would put them essentially onto the uh, freeway and get them over to where they needed to get you to fly out, that's where the fatal shot takes place. So you need to believe that, uh, how many shots did they say that, that Oswald fired off?
2: They said three,
1: three shots in the span of. Do you know how many off the top of your head? Uh,
2: if I'm not mistaken, under five seconds.
1: So he had to, and this was a a, sli- a bolt, a a bolt, bolt action. action. So in, and this is something that he could not do when he was in the military. He could not fire a weapon at this speed. Most people can't.
2: Most professional snipers can't <laughs> yeah. even do it.
1: So, but he was able to get these shots off. Uh, two of them did not, were not the fatal shot. Uh, obviously, only need one, one missed altogether. One missed altogether. The other one was where struck.
2: Struck a curb. Part of the curb broke a chip off of it. Hit a guy in the cheek and what have you. Uh, they recovered that supposedly recovered that bullet.
1: And can we follow the path of the magic bullet? Can you do that off the top of your head?
2: I've been doing everything else <laughs> off the top of my head. Why not? Uh, the path of the magic bullet supposedly entered into the back of Kennedy's neck um, or. Out through the front of his throat, in through Connolly's right.
1: Texas sh- Governor John Connolly no, in the front who seat. Who was
2: seated in front of him, yeah, sorry. Uh, into the back of Connolly's right shoulder, or, wait a minute, left shoulder, because Connolly was starting to turn around, I think, entered into Connolly's right wrist and then down into his right knee.
1: So this bullet followed a crazy path. You know, of going yeah. every which way. And the most important part, the bullet that they claim that they recovered yeah. out of all of this damage.
2: Roughly came out almost pristine with maybe a slight dent to it.
1: So for the bullets who have gone through all of that now, ballistics tests fired into, you know, various different amounts of uh, uh, impedances, you know. Right. Totally shattered.
2: Yeah. the Especially the bones that this thing is supposedly to go through it went supposedly to kennedy's vertebrae in his neck vertebrae are some of the hardest bones in the human body the main reason being is because it's designed to carry the weight mm-hmm. of a human being so the bone density in vertebrae is very high compared to say like rib bones or what have you the other bones that it entered into like in Connolly's wrist the radius and ulna are also heavily fortified because that's where a, a lot of the fulcrum action is used for lifting. They're they, they are designed to be strong, as well as the, um, your thigh bone, or I believe humerus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, now, that's a very, very, very strong bone. And for this thing to come out pretty much roughly intact, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh,
1: yeah. It's, uh, I'm trying to remember all the bones off the top of my head. But, so am I. But
2: it, it I'm, it I'm
1: following matter. the path of
2: the bullet. But they're, they're suffice, it to, suffice it to say, they're going through some pretty thick, heavy, hard bone.
1: And, and so we'll continue following this, this trend now. So this one bullet does all this damage, comes out pristine or nearly pristine. Uh, Oswald leaves the school book depository, walks outside, uh, ends up going into a movie theater where he's captured in a movie theater. He's taken into police custody. Now, he stays in police custody while, I don't know, it's hard to decide you know, what to follow in this theory, but uh, Kennedy is taken to nearby Parkland Hospital, uh, where there is not an autopsy done there officially. They do do an autopsy there, right?
2: They started to do an autopsy, and then the Secret Service... And they come the, in, yeah, and yeah, they, I,
1: they, they, swoop, little... they bring the bottle back to Bethesda, uh, right. back to the Navy Hospital, and so, but Oswald goes into this movie theater, he's captured there by the police, he's taken into custody.
2: You left out Tibbetts.
1: Okay, well, why don't you fill us in? Uh,
2: supposedly, after uh, Oswald was thought to be the shooter, a, um APB goes out for him. A police officer by the name of Tibbetts was said to in- have encountered Oswald out on one of the streets. Uh, Oswald's... Was reported to have pulled out a revolver and shot Officer Tibbets. Then, uh, police pursuit uh, of Oswald for shooting Officer Tibbets had him being chased into the movie theater, the movie and that's
1: theater. And, and so he was in police custody. Now that was uh, what, what day of the week was it? Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday? I forget.
2: I think it was a Thursday. I'm not. You like how I just totally blank? I'm sure it's on yeah. The
1: but um, so, but it was, I think it was Sunday that Jack Ruby got to him. He's in police custody. He's being transported. Uh, and as they take him out now, prisoners are not transported in this manner. Uh, they are usually protected. But for some reason, Oswald was out in the wide open. Uh, and he comes out, and he's essentially yelling to the crowd, I didn't kill anybody, I'm just a patsy. And Jack Ruby, who is a seedy nightclub owner in Dallas uh, and supposedly a you know, a Kennedy supporter, a Kennedy lover, uh, gets up really close to him and fires a shot at close range and kills Oswald.
2: Now, supposedly Oswald and Ruby knew each other.
1: Well, let's, From, we'll get, we're getting into the conspiracy theory parts okay. here, where we're still working on the lone nut theory, and then the, I guess you could say, another lone nut that took out Oswald, a, a patriot taking out Oswald. So, that is the abbreviated version. Now in the uh, 25 or so minutes that we have left, we'll get into the actual (laughs) conspiracy theories. uh, But first, uh, we will take a break. Uh, We'll burn off what we have for commercials and then on the other side, we'll finish out the rest of Spooky South Coast talking about some of the conspiracy theories. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Alright, welcome back into Spooky South Coast here. 508-996-0500 508 500 If you would like to share any thoughts on the Kennedy assassination, but we're going to quickly, in the time that we have left, try and uh, basically uh, solve the whole mystery. you think we can pull that off? No. But we are going to talk about some of the theories, uh, if there was a conspiracy to kill the president. Uh, but Matt Moniz, you wanted to correct yourself on yeah. an earlier point real quick?
2: Yeah, we were talking about the various bones. Like I said, I went through the Vertebrae. Now, vertebrae, like I said, is a very dense, hard bone. Then it went through the scapula of the uh, shoulder of John Connolly, then through the radius of the, ulna of the wrist, and then down into his tibia, it, one of the leg bones, one of the very strong leg bones.
1: Hey, you're a chemist, not a biologist, so we Yeah, but I still had <laughs> took anatomy and
2: physiology. I should still remember it. And I have also a, were, have an EMT license, so this is stuff I should know.
1: Okay. Well, now we're talking about some of the theories behind the assassination. Now, if it was a conspiracy, so we've uh, we've talked about uh, Lee Harvey Oswald as the lone gunman. Now we can talk a little bit about the possibility of who was behind it. Uh, without, because we're short on time, we can't really get into in depth of how Oswald's involvement uh, tied into a lot of these. Uh, one of the uh, prevailing theories in later years, uh, in recent times, was the mafia theory that Sam Giancana and the Chicago Mafia were upset at. The Kennedys, for attacking them uh, through the court system after they had helped get him elected president, they felt that he owed them and instead he burned them in order to cover their own tracks. So that would be the reason why the mafia would be behind this conspiracy. And then, of course, the seedier version is because Sam Giancana was actually uh, very close to Marilyn Monroe and actually introduced Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe to each other and was not – Fond of the fact that they had begun seeing each other behind his back, so it was kind of you know you don't you don't uh you don't do that to the to the boss you know you don't sleep with the boss's girlfriend so I
2: think Traficante was also one of the people in the underworld that was supposedly mentioned as yeah the- he was uh he was
1: out of Miami right. out of Florida and uh he would be tied very closely with Giancana into the Cuban aspect of it and uh you know, if you want to start getting into the casinos and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there the organized crime definitely had its reasons to get involved and to take out the president. However, I think uh, something built at this level, they could not have acted alone. As as powerful as La Casa Nostra can be, I don't think they're powerful enough to have that type of hold in the government. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but we're talking about very high-level uh, involvement if that is the case. Uh, of course, the other... Prevailing theory is that it was the United States government that took out the president uh, because of some of his policies and some of the things that he wanted to put into effect. Uh, they or not put or into not it. put into effect. In, in, in such case, uh, one of the major uh, one of the major reasons being that he was trying uh, his best to keep America out of the Vietnam conflict and out of Southeast Asia, and they felt that that was the wrong way to go. Uh, another issue also was the civil rights movement that they thought he was a little bit too loose on that. And, some some people say it was really more that he was so tied up with other issues that he was kind of turning a blind eye to civil rights at that point. But basically what he was trying to do is he was trying to gain support for his policies and programs so that when he got reelected in 64, he'd have a mandate and he could get some of these programs into effect. And there are other people who supposedly he made promises to along the way that didn't like the fact that he didn't keep up to date on what he was going to do and that if he got reelected and he had this mandate to start putting in some of this effect – their programs, their ideas, their, their personal agendas would suffer uh, as a result of what he was trying to do, that he was basically trying to get everybody he could on his side to get him elected and then he would just you know, burn them and do his own thing. I mean, just as a general reason behind the government assassination. And if that's the case, then we're getting into the reaches of the CIA and that's where we can bring in Oswald as the Patsy setup. Uh, there, some of the theories are that there, the shot didn't actually come from the School Book Depository. It came from the Grassy Knoll building directly uh, across the street, essentially, from where the presidential car was at the time. Uh, a lot of people who were there when it happened think that the shot came from the Grassy Knoll. Uh, later, there were tests done. Uh, the, the explanation was what you heard was the echo uh, coming off. The report. Yeah, the report you were hearing—that's what you were hearing from the grassy knoll. But there were later there were audio tests that were done on some of the audio recordings that were done that day that verifies that there was a shot that came from that area. Uh, there was smoke that came from that area. There was gunpowder in that area. There was somebody seen running away with a gun from that area. Um, so there was definitely something going on there. The famous scene from the film JFK, where Kevin Costner playing Jim Garrison is running the Zapruder film, and he is frame by frame, showing the fatal bullet striking Kennedy in the skull. And frame 238? I, I believe so, exactly, yeah. And he's saying that it was hitting him in the head, forcing him to go back and to the left, indicating that the shot came from the grassy knoll area. The One of the common misconceptions, too, is uh, according to the autopsy that was done at the Naval Hospital, is that uh, the bullet... Was actually entered into the uh, back of the skull, and what had what the the later shot in the front of the skull was the exit wound, or, or however it was, and it was actually reversed. If you look at these autopsy photos and right. from Parkland, and you see the way that the skull was shaped, they'd actually put in pieces of Kennedy's skull in other spots and taken other pieces out to try to switch that around and make it fit what they were trying to say. Yeah, if you believe what what they're saying, I. I that the famous scene of Jackie Kennedy jumping into the trunk of the car wasn't to escape a bullet heading toward no, her. No, it
2: was to retrieve part of her husband's skull.
1: Yes, and and I guess she thought she could, if she got it and held it into place, he could be okay at it. That's what she, Apparently that's what she said to the Warren Commission. Uh, so those are just some of the, uh, glossing over some of the points there uh, in terms of that. But uh, if that is the case, and there was this high-end government conspiracy there's so many strange happenings that happened around Dallas that day. For example, the three quote-unquote hobos that were found in the train yard shortly after the assassination, Uh, for being hobos that were supposedly, you know, riding the rails, they were pretty well-dressed. And uh, one of them, I believe, was Woody Harrelson's father, the actor Woody Harrelson. Mm -hmm. Uh, His father was uh, definitely involved in government activities and later went to jail for murder uh, and is serving a life sentence. So... That is, you know, another aspect that comes into play. Uh, th- there's also Jack Ruby being tied into both organized crime and the CIA. Uh, there is, if you see the film JFK, and as Jim Morris points out in his book Crossfire, the plot that killed Kennedy, there's the um, uh, the Joe Pesci character, uh, David Ferry, uh, his involvement with Oswald, how close he was to Oswald, being involved in a conspiracy in New Orleans with... Uh, Clay Shaw slash yeah. Clay Bertrand.
2: Who also l- later was admitted by the CIA to be one of their people.
1: And it was also head of the trademark, too. Uh, so there was definitely some involvement in a conspiracy-type situation. Whether or not it was directly involved in the assassination of Kennedy, uh, we don't know yet. But we do know that there was definitely – Jim Garrison did stumble upon a brewing conspiracy uh, through these people in New Orleans that he, that he investigated, and it was enough so that the the American people weren't except they weren't buying the Warren Report to begin with, but it was enough to make them question the Warren Report. That the House Select Committee on Assassinations was created in 1975, I believe, and they reviewed it. and Their evidence was it it seems like there was definitely the possibility that there was an assassination to kill the president. Yeah. So I mean, they're talking in circles, but they they didn't discredit the notion that there was a conspiracy. So getting back into some of the other more out there uh, theories, uh, one of them, and it's taken a lot of uh, prevalence in later years as well, the Manchurian candidate effect, Mm -hmm. that supposedly Oswald was programmed during his time in Russia to do this particular job, that all these crazy things that he did when he came back was just acting out the program of what he was supposed to do. Was he programmed to actually pull the trigger and kill the president, or was he programmed to be the person that's in place to carry all this out? We don't know. Uh, I sorry, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say I find it ironic because they say the same thing about what happened with his brother Bobby with Sirhan Sarhan.
1: The exact same thing they say because of the the automatic writing involved in and that's you know this is a whole other episode that, of yeah, that's outdoors, yeah. but. Uh, But it is it is probably, and I believe that the Manchurian Candidate, as a film, didn't come out until nineteen sixty four. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking pre film, and I think even pre book. So the fact that it was possible that this was going on uh, is is definitely definitely interesting. And there's you know there's other theories. I mean, uh, Silent Assassin has been searching the internet here and looking up some of these other uh, various smaller conspiracy theories that. Can I get
2: him to look up something? Sure, go ahead. Hey, Maddie, can you pull up the Zabruder film?
1: Possibly. All yeah. right. So we'll see if we can pull that up. I'm I sure. want
2: to show you another theory. Uh, it, it involves actually, it's a visual on the film. Well, then we'll
1: probably not be able to do it on but the radio. I can, but
2: but <laughs> I can talk about it. It was a theory put up by a guy by the name of Bill Moore mm-hmm. uh, a number of years ago, who actually happens to be into big into UFO conspiracies and stuff like that, as does uh, Jim Morris for that matter. But. Uh, one of the theories that mr moore put out was that uh his theory was the person that shot him was actually the driver of the uh limousine uh greer i believe is the limousine driver's name agent Greer. yeah uh now supposedly in the video if you look at it slowed down you are supposed to see what looks like a nickel-plated 45 being pulled out of greer's pocket aimed at kennedy's head and it in the weapon discharging.
1: Well, there's a similar theory, too, in the assassination of Robert Kennedy that it was actually the agent standing next to him in the kitchen of the hotel that right. actually pulled the trigger and filed the shot. And of course, through the magic of YouTube, the, the, the Zapruder film is readily available. So if you go to youtube.com and type in Zapruder, Z A P R U D E R, you'll find uh, uh, the Zapruder film. Now get ready I'm to pause it, Maddie. And this is a great video that that he found because it actually gives a frame-by-frame count as the video runs. So it's going to be like, what, around the 235 mark? Yeah, thereabouts. Okay. So it's just loading up now, and he'll he'll go through that as it's going by.
2: Now, what I want people to, if they're able to, pull the film up.
1: Well, we'll put a link to it, too, on SpookySouthCoast.com. Now,
2: now, like I said, watch very, very carefully the driver, right, at the particular point –
1: that's been doctored.
2: Yeah, I've seen the actual film. And, bang. Okay. Now, did you see the driver turn around?
1: He's going to go back and, and try to... see the. You see the initial impact of the first shot. You see Kennedy kind of slump forward a little bit before right. the, the fatal shot pushes him backward. See, you can see him there react. That is an outstanding shot, by the way.
2: Yeah. Outstanding shot. Are you talking the film or the...
1: The film and the way that it's been uh, okay. it's cleaned up.
2: Now, were you able to see what I was talking about, Matt?
1: Could you see that, Matt?
2: I don't know if you can freeze frame it.
1: It's hard to run stuff off YouTube in slow motion, but uh, I do have a program that can burn burn it illegally. So maybe, well, not illegally, but can burn it um, and slow it down. So. But uh, while, while they're reviewing that footage, uh, I'll throw out uh, just some other information too about uh, in terms of the assassination theories. Uh, as I said, the House Select Committee uh, on Assassination said that there it's very possible that there was a conspiracy to kill the president. And if there was, uh, then it's just going to blow – it already did blow open America's distrust of the government. Uh, it's a key turning point. In the 60s culture and uh, how people kind of turned their back a little bit on the government it was no longer the trusted older brother, you know, patriarchal type anymore, and it led to to great disillusionment. Of course, we're talking in broad strokes here, but it, it definitely was the dying innocence of America, and and you can see it frame by frame in in the Zapruder film. Is there? ever going to be the final answer are we going to the information that we get when these records are released uh, i guess in seven years is it going to give us a definitive answer one way or another i would tend to think that it would or else it wouldn't be locked up uh, i'm I'm just as i'm talking here i'm watching the film uh, trying to watch the film at the same time but you know here here we are with these many conspiracy theories and we're at a loss because we can't get our hands on that evidence and on those sealed reports. However, in 2003, ABC News had a documentary where they actually used computer generated graphics and, you know, some of the more modern technology that we have today to see if they could figure it out. Their analysis was that there was no conspiracy. Uh, this is from October 28th, 2003. ABC Television said that it conducted an exhaustive investigation of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, complete with cu- computer generated reconstruction, which irrefutably confirms that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. It aired as a two hour special event uh, on November 20th, 2003. And it leaves no room for doubt," said Tom Yellen, executive producer of the special, narrated by Peter Jennings. He called the results enormously powerful and irrefutable. The conclusion that Oswald alone shot Kennedy during a motorcade in Dallas mirrors that of the Warren Commission, the official government inquiry. Uh, and basically, uh, what they did is they used computer-generated technology, only available in the past few years, uh, that you know you now see used in many other recreations of uh, ballistics and uh, crime scenes all around the world. And they followed the path of the bullet and they basically said that it's possible that it was totally one shot and that he totally acted alone. Uh, They used uh, the computer-generated reconstruction as well as maps, blueprints, physical measurements, 500 photographs, films, and autopsy reports. Uh, And they also, through interviews and other documentation, concluded that Jack Ruby acted alone out of his love for Kennedy for killing Oswald. Uh, I'm not buying it because... I think that there's enough out there that you can't come to that irrefutable conclusion. Why? Because one person told you that Jack Ruby loved Kennedy and therefore he acted alone. There's also one person that will tell you that Jack Ruby couldn't stand Kennedy and was actually close friends with Oswald and it hurt him to have to do what he had to do, but he had to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that we need to dig into much more uh, in the future and I think uh, – Future anniversaries of these assassinations, uh, as we're here with Spooky South Coast, we'll delve into, instead of generally glossing over them, we'll delve into the nuts and bolts and take different theories uh, associated with the conspiracies. And there's many other conspiracies and, and things of that nature that we'll get into. That's part of what we're doing here, talking about the things that you don't hear about on the radio the rest of the time. It doesn't all have to be the paranormal, uh, but we do try to just make you think and make you wonder and make you question. That's what we see our job here as. With that in mind, next week we're going to talk about dreams and the paranormal with uh, special guests Dominic Addisani of the Lucidity Institute. That is the uh, institute where they study lucid dreaming, which is the power of being able to control your dreams and use them to your advantage. And joining us in, as part of that discussion as well will be Rosemary Ellen Guiley the author of such books as The Dream Encyclopedia and The Dreamer's Way. and Or The Dreamer's Path, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she just sent me a copy of the book. Uh, I haven't had a chance to crack it open yet, so I apologize if I stumbled on the name there. But thank you, Rosemary, for that. We will uh, talk to them about just dreams, how they relate to paranormal phenomena, uh, nightmares, sleep disorders, and the power of your dreams and what you can do in your dreams. It's amazing. Uh, once you can master lucid dreaming... Just the amount that you can achieve and how it can benefit you in your waking life. We'll talk about, talk about all of that with them. Then coming up on December 9th, we'll have Tom D'Agostino talking about Haunted Rhode Island. And on December, what would that be the 16th or the 17th, the following Saturday after that, we will have on Rick Hayes. Rick Hayes will be returning to us. Uh, From lifesgift.com, he will be taking your calls on the air and trying to connect with your deceased loved ones. So circle that date on your calendar. You like how you didn't give the date but told you to circle it. The third Saturday in December, and we will talk to Rick Hayes, and hopefully you can reconnect with a loved one from your past uh, that you haven't spoken to since they passed on. So. If you'd like to keep up to date with all this and check out updates, go to SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll post a link up to the Zapruder film there for you as well. Uh, even if the Silent Assassin can embed it in the blog, that'd be even cooler. He he knows all about that kind of stuff. And uh, stay tuned there all week long. Also check us out on MySpace, SpookySouthCoast.com slash MySpace. Uh, our shop, CafePress.com slash SpookySouth. If you want to buy some of our gear and the new hat is ready, we will have it up on the website soon for you to take orders. Uh, just in time for Christmas So uh, for Matt Costa For Matt Moniz I'm Tim Weisberg We want you all to Stay spectacular, everybody
0: Rest assured listener That my time here Has not been easy And what you have just heard Was not fiction Although In many a desperate moment I most certainly wish it had been It's over for now it seems, or at least, until yesterday begins again, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Sudo-me